not everybody operates on the same level as everybody else. Everybody else, you know, everybody operates on different levels. What's going on, Refill Team Fairchild? As you guys know, the whole point of this podcast is just to help bring our community together. I've broken it down into simple things. We're just going to hack it out. We'll talk about humor and humility, accountability, connectiveness, and also kindness. And what other strings for our bows our guests have to bring to the table. Because that's how we make that beautiful music. So let's go ahead and get this episode started. So I just wanted to preface the next five episodes we're about to listen to. Uh, You're going to hear my individual or personal leadership philosophies. Uh, They're broken down to about five different traits. You'll hear me joke about North America's hacks for anyone that forgets my name when you put my last name in front of me. First name actually spells North America, so that's how I get that fun part. And then um, I share it, I think, in the first podcast, but we're just breaking down humor, humility, accountability, connectedness, and kindness. And some of those words kind of do overlap, and you'll notice that I may have left out some keywords that we usually hear around the Air Force, but I tend to stray from what we usually choose to highlight, if you will. Always looking for more ideas, if you guys have any out there in the listening world. It can be your leadership traits, or maybe you'd like to have someone on the show that you really value. Whatever it is, just let me know. Other than that, we'll go ahead and get started. All right, Team Fairchild, this is part three of my leadership philosophies. Today, I have Sergeant Ganey from Comm Squadron. And she is going, I chose her for accountability. Accountability is my number three in the word hack that I produced, which saying out of context kind of sounds funny, but that is, that is why we're here today. Sergeant Ganey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. So um, I'm Master Sergeant Ganey. Uh, I work in the 92nd Communication Squadron. I am the Section Chief of Cyber Resources. So I have about four or five different AFSCs that are kind of under my supervision right now. So I am from a small town outside of Shreveport in Louisiana. I grew up there and then from there joined the Air Force a little later in life. Sure. And then I have been stationed at Whiteman Air Force Base and here. Okay. And uh, hopefully this spring we will be heading out to D.C. uh, So that will be exciting. I've got a couple of deployments under my belt, uh, Afghanistan and Kuwait. Do you want to share what cool assignment you got picked up for? <laughs> so I did get uh, picked up for uh, White House Military Office. So I'll be working at the White House. It's going to be super exciting. Honestly, so I married mill to mill, my husband being a bomber refueler crew chief. Um, so this is a position that I never thought would be possible, yeah. especially being married to him. So I'm super humbled and excited for uh, for what's to come. So. Maintainers always dragging you down. I know. Dang man, maintainers. Back in 2011, I think some of us got super coded out. Yeah. But for me, I can only go to KC-135 Slamic Tech. Yep. And then it opens up the whole floor to another KC-10 and now the KC-46. Yep. Yeah. I know um, Sergeant Gady, uh, or Tyler Ganey, yep. he has a little bit more leeway on how many places he can go, but yeah. it's still definitely yeah. limited, unfortunately. Well, and it was definitely limited for him when uh, when that shutout you know, happened, especially being a B-2 crew chief. So. Poor dude. So, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, he got stuck at Whiteman, uh, not by choice. I kind of by choice because I decided to marry him. Sure. So, but it's been an exciting ride so far, so excited for what's to come. Awesome. Yeah. I'm 
super excited for you, super bummed you're leaving. It seems like a lot of people that I finally got to know in the top three are all leaving very, very soon. Senior Castleberry, I think, what leaves? Oh, like a week or two from now. Beginning yeah. of next year. Yeah. Uh, Staten has already left. I think there's some other people all getting ready to leave. I keep, I haven't told her yet, but I keep thinking, Sergeant Johnson, you just got here. Please don't leave anytime soon. Because <laughs> she's going to actually be on the podcast for one of the parts as well, one nice. of the episodes. But I chose you for accountability because when we were in senior NCOPE together, I think you were the youngest as far as time and grade, time and service yep. NCO that promoted yep. to Master Sergeant in our, in our class, if you will. Yep. And just listening to you talk and then getting to know your husband a little bit, being opposite section chief, he's a crew chief uh, yep. specialist. And just kind of getting to know how you operate, I mm -hmm. thought you would be great for this episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so accountability. How how do you, how should we start this off? Is it harder for you to hold people accountable or is it harder for you to hold yourself accountable, would you say? That's a tough one. <laughs> I feel like, for me, it's probably harder to, I don't know. So it's kind of like a balancing act, you know. Holding everybody else accountable while holding yourself accountable because if you have expectations set for somebody else, you also have to live up to that expectation. Sure. For myself, my expectations are very high. Um, sometimes it's hard because I can find myself not living up to my own expectations. But, you know, when I became a supervisor as an NCO, um, that was one thing I had to kind of understand and remind myself is that not everybody operates on the same level as everybody else everybody else you know everybody operates on different levels so that was a huge learning experience for me and trying to tailor you know what are your expectations for everybody else how do you hold them accountable too and that's another thing that when you talk about accountability you know some i think most people think about like paperwork and lor loc like things like that um, but sometimes it's even just as simple as hey you know let's have a conversation about something sure um but yeah, for myself, you know, it's hard uh, to hold myself accountable sometimes because it's it's easier. I mean, it's easier to put the I don't want to say the blame, but it's easier to kind of look at somebody else and pick out their flaws than to look in the mirror and pick out your own flaws. Yeah. To so, uh, senior Watson and I had this discussion earlier about Air Force Blue versus True Colors Blue. So keeping an Air Force Blue integrity obviously plays really, really important into accountability. Uh, I don't know if you remember when Chief Proctor came and talked to us during his briefing, I think what I wish I knew 10 years ago, yep. is that the one he did? Yep. He said something and it's really stuck with me and sometimes I'm so angry because it's gross sometimes, but he said, you know, people will walk by a piece of trash yep. and they won't pick it up. Mm -hmm. But I feel if I don't pick it up, who would pick it up? Absolutely. I don't know if you remember that or yeah, not, basically, yeah. no, but it was, it was basically something like that. So now when I see pieces of trash, if I know there's a garbage can nearby yeah. or it's not completely disgusting looking, I pick it up because he's right. If I don't pick up the trash, how can I expect my airman to pick up the trash? Absolutely. Uh, somebody else um, recently, I don't remember who it was, but they were basically talking about calling, I don't want to say calling people out, but you are what you don't call out in people. So sure. even if it's something as small as hair or something like that, what are you allowing in terms of people to get away with, you know? And, and that's not how I mean it per se, but do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so if you see something small, like walk past, 
then that's something that you have allowed in your head that you think is okay. So whether that's something as small as hair or something as big as, I don't know, something, you know, much bigger than that. Like, I think it all kind of falls into the same category, you know, whatever you are okay with uh, calling out or, you know, seeing or saying something, you know, they say, see something, say something is kind of, you have to look inward as well as, oh, like I was okay with letting that person walk past me with that. It goes back to accountability, you know, what, what do you value in terms of that? So, sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause the AFI 26 or 36, 26, 18, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that we are held responsible for senior NCOs as airmen yeah. at every rank. And it's hard sometimes, and then 362903, we can nitpick everything, but what Absolutely. are we willing to not necessarily fall on the sword for? Yeah. But if we let one person do something, we have to let the other person do something. Yeah. If not, we run that bias. Mm-hmm. And I think you were kind of getting on basically that bystander theory that yeah. if you don't react, that's also sending a message that it's okay. Absolutely. We see that a lot, unfortunately, sometimes. And it's hard. It's hard because. There's a fine line, and especially when we become first-line supervisors, staff sergeants. Not everyone out of our friends makes it, or maybe we're friends with some of those younger A1Cs that haven't even had the chance to test. So now, we technically promoted ourselves to the point where we can still be friends and we can still be friendly, but do they know me well enough to know when, hey, this is Sergeant Northam and I need you to get this done, versus hey, this is Erica, and we're still, I still want that family dynamic when we can, but we can't have it if you can't, tur- if we can't turn it off when we need to. Yeah. Mutual respect yeah. is how I look at that. And I, I feel bad because I see a lot of my airmen kind of struggle with that. You know, I have one airman who has made staff and won't so long until August, um, which is great, but they still have a lot of growing up to do. Sure. And it's still playing some of these, uh, I don't want to say games, but still doing some of the things that, you know, hey, you have a line for staff now. Maybe maybe you need to kind of start distancing yourself from being as friendly as you are being, you know, because you may have to supervise these people and you may have to have a difficult conversation with them. And, you know, are they going to respect you enough to, yes, you are my friend, but yes, I also understand you're my supervisor. And I don't think some people can, you know, have those types of relationships. Some sure. people have to either be friends or be supervisors. Yeah. Yeah, it can be hard. I think my hardest transition, I think you've said it too for you, was making senior NCO. Yeah, that was the hardest for me. Like, I thought tech would be hard, but honestly, because you're still kind of doing some of the same things, you're just adding on more responsibility. Whereas becoming a senior NCO, like, to me, it means a whole different thing. And, you know, I'm having to step away from being, you know, the technical master at my craft. And, you know, because once upon a time, not that I, I know everything about my career field, but I, I had, was pretty knowledgeable and it was nice being the go-to person and being able to teach the young airmen and becoming a senior NCO has forced me to kind of step away from that a little bit. And I love what I do now because I can take care of my airmen much better, but at the same time, it kind of sucks because you, once upon a time you were the go-to and now you're just sure. kind of like on the sidelines in a way. But it's also nice because that gives somebody else the opportunity to now shine and kind of step into the light and grow somebody else. And I think as senior NCOs, whether we want it or not, we also have to realize to an extent that just by by having that new title, Mm -hmm. that our actions hold us accountable. Absolutely. And that can be really hard too. 
I mean, we can still joke and we can still have fun, and that's exactly what I talked to Senior Watson about. But we have to do it, not strategically or anything like that, but there's a time and a place. But also, you really have to make sure that that respect level is already built in. That yes, I can joke with you, you all, but at the same time, I'm still your boss. Yep. And if you can't tell when I'm joking versus when I'm not, we have a problem. Absolutely. So holding ourselves accountable, I think it the higher we climb is even more detrimental. Yes. I think it's it. much more important the higher you get in the ranks to hold yourself accountable for things. You know, I'm constantly working on myself and sometimes I'm hard on myself because I feel like as a senior NCO, I am supposed to operate at a certain level. And sometimes I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm there. Like I am trying, I'm working on it, but maybe I'm just not there yet, you know, but I'm doing the best I can with what I've gotten. And, you know, I'm trying to, we all, it's all a learning curve for everybody. I wholeheartedly believe that you're never ready for a job or rank or whatever until you get there. And so for me, it's always throw me into the fire, we'll figure it out. But this is again, like that hardest like transition. We actually just had a, a senior NCO call at FSS yesterday, which in correlation to when this came out, who knows when yesterday was. But we had the senior NCOs in there, and our commander asked us, uh, basically, did you know that the Air Force used to, the highest rank used to be for enlisted E7? And I felt really stupid, because I did not. I'm not as good I, at my I'm history as I thought I was. <laughs> I, I did magically guess the closest to when E9s and e, E8s became part of our military tradition. But he asked us, like, do you think as an E7 today or a Master Sergeant today, you would have been prepared to be the top tier? And all of us were like, heck no. No. But, and then the fact that we needed these two new positions is kind of interesting. And I think it's all evolution mm -hmm. and just spreading the, the top knowledge out a little bit more okay. and giving people time to experience things and prove that maybe out of this giant tier, mm -hmm that maybe these guys are, and girls are the top of the class. Yep. I was like, man, can you, I, I can't even imagine. And I was, a, I was an NCO for a really long time, mm -hmm. unlike you. <laughs> <laughs> I was an NCO for 10 years. Okay. I was a staff for six, and then I was a tech for four. Mm -hmm. I made tech, my, or master, my second time testing. So I was a staff for a really long time. Mm -hmm. But I got so many different values and lessons that I would have never got to do. I would never be sitting in this seat if I made tech right away yeah. because I would have never had a chance to be like Tyler and do yeah. FTD, yeah, field absolutely. training detachment. Yeah. That, would not, that was not an option for a tech sergeant. That was a staff job. So all these different things have helped me and very much like the Senior Watson's podcast, I've lost my train of thought. How can I tie this back around and I can edit this part out? <laughs> um, but just learning that like they asked who thinks they're ready to be a chief or a senior. And yeah. I think most of our hands didn't go up. Yeah. And I think I've, I've read it in the yeah. enlisted force structure, yeah. but I don't know. Like, could I probably, yeah. when I see, when I see some senior enlisted leaders uh, and senior math sergeants out there, could I do their job? Probably. Mm -hmm. Could I do their job better than some of them? Maybe, maybe not. But am I ready? I don't know. And like you said, yeah. we never feel like we're ready. Yeah. But I felt like I was ready for tech because yeah. it took me a while to make staff. Well, and that's like, so just so everyone knows, I'm going to put it out there. Uh, I will hit 11 years in February. So I am a very young master sergeant, and I understand that completely. 
I made BTZ. I was deployed to Shindan, Afghanistan. You know, I'm sure that had a helping hand in making BTZ. Sure. Um, but I sewed on before the, the February cutoff, basically. Oh, nice. And so I was eligible to test for staff. And it scared me, to be honest, because I had only been in the Air Force for uh, a year at that point. And so you already want me to test for staff to be an NCO, and I'm barely understanding what it means to be in the Air Force. Sure. You know, so for me, it was more of, you know, I had other life things going on that I needed more focus on. So, you know, I went into the test, I tested, and I didn't make it my first time. Okay. And so, you know, actually, I was kind of bummed when it happened. I think everybody's sure. bummed when you don't make a rank, yeah. whether you, you know, if you're super realistic with yourself, if even if you knew that you weren't ready or that, you know, it just wasn't your time or whatever the case is, you're still bummed. You st- I mean, it's it's kind of like trying out for a team and not seeing that you made the cut. Yeah. But at the same time, that gave me the opportunity to kind of grow as an airman and to kind of understand what it meant to be a senior airman. And by the time, you know, the next testing cycle came around, um, I did make it, but I was still, you know, kind of far out. So that still gave me time to kind of figure it out tech, I didn't think, I honestly 100% did not think I was gonna make tech the first time. However, I did, and so I was like, well, we'll figure it out, Um, and I did. Um, I feel like, you know, for me at least, not expecting, you know, to progress the way that I have has forced me to kind of learn and grow as much as I can so that I can be ready for the next and so that I can continue to uh, take care of the people that are under me so it's not like, you know, the stigma of the fast burner that's, you know, not ready for the next phase in their life and all that good stuff. But yeah, but that, I mean, accountability, like it all goes back to that, you know, holding yourself accountable and holding each other accountable and all of that. No, and that's never a dig at, you know, and some of us it takes a little bit longer and some of us, I guess, I talked to Senior Master and Oddbolt. I don't know if you ever got to meet her. She was the SEL over at LRS for a little bit. She's supply by trade and she was the POC for back then Superintendent 101. I don't know if we're calling it SEL 101 from now on, Air University. I should probably look into that. <laughs> but I told her, she asked me how long I'd been in, and then she asked me when I made master, and I told her, oh, I just made it last cycle. And she's like, oh, so, so fast. I was so fast. <laughs> 16 years, almost 17 years, that's fast. And she's like, well, back when I was joining, yeah. that was a little bit faster. Yeah gosh, I didn't see it that way. And we all get there different ways and it's just yeah. how we, what we bring to the table. Absolutely. So there is, it's not saying that an old person is automatically going to be a better at the next rank. It's not saying that the next, the youngest person isn't going to be better at the next rank. It just Absolutely. depends on the person Absolutely. and their traits, yeah. which I pointed to the paper that no one can see me do. <laughs> do you have any stories of maybe like a hard time where I counted that you really were pushed? Or not, it doesn't have to be hard or just a fun story. I'll give you one while you, while you look like you're pondering. So I got to Pease, New Hampshire, which is a little guard base. And, you know, you couldn't tell the difference between who was guard and who was active duty, minus the fact that poor guard hadn't gotten OCPs yet. That was literally the only way you could tell who was who because everybody worked really hard, dug in. But we were told that the KC-135s were leaving. We already knew that. In fact, I think... The first couple had already left, and the KC-46s were supposed to roll in. Well, KC-46s were not quite as ready, mission-capable, as they thought they were going to be. So we were told, active duty, 
you're leaving. We're going to temporarily close the base. So I lost all their interest, obviously. Now they don't want to learn KC-46. Who could honestly blame them? They're not going to be working the 46 at McConnell or Altus either. None of them got picked up for that. Showing up on time became an issue. And as mm -hmm. poor Sergeant Fields knows, who's over in the corner, that is one of my big things. And it's not fair. And I, I always have to remember that because I can count on one hand and you could chop off a couple fingers how many times I've been late in my career to work. Mm -hmm. And that's just me. Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of the other problems or worries that some people have to worry about. And uh, attendance has always just been a big thing for me. I think I tried to be late to work once. I even told them I'm going to be late because I had physical <laughs> therapy at Lake Heath and I was stationed at Bowman Hall. Like, I'm going to be late today because physical therapy. I pulled up to the parking lot and it was 10 minutes before work still. I don't know how I got through physical therapy so fast. I can't even be late when I try. I was late once because my car battery died or my spark plugs were bad. I can't remember which one. So I had to call someone who was already at work to come get me. We were all the way on the other side, basically like driving to Searside from here. So they had to come get me. And the other time I slept. I don't know how I did this because in the fall we fall back. Mm -hmm. So I should have had an extra hour. But my phone didn't swap over because I was deployed to Marone. And my roommate didn't even wake me up because she was on shift too. But I was an hour late to work. I go downstairs and I'm usually, <laughs> I'm not always the first one down there, but usually I'm one of the first few. Looking around, no one's here. God, our showtime's in a little bit. I can't believe no one's downstairs yet. Where are my usual early risers? No one's here. Where it's past the time we're supposed to be at work. It's like, oh my gosh, it was daylight savings. They're already at work. Oh no. So I had to call someone to come pick me up. It's like, do they notice I'm late? It's like, they were wondering where you were. No one thought to <laughs> Probably call me or okay. knock on my door. You guys know where I live? Like, no. My job, not to undersell it, but it wasn't the most important because the production superintendent could do my job at the same time. And he wasn't going to wake me up for, for a sortie that day. Bless him. But I got to work and I was in a panic and he was just laughing at me. But those are the two times I know I've been late to work, which is just me. Um, but I had these airmen. I got really off topic on that. Sorry. <laughs> I had these airmen and they just, a couple of them, there was eight of us and three or four of them were always late to work. It was every day one of them would be late, if not two of them. And they wouldn't tell us why they were late. They wouldn't tell us that they were going to be late. So I said that enough's enough. I know... I know I just kind of got here and I've kind of let things go, but it's starting to become an issue and the guard has their standards and we're not even meeting our own standards. And how does that make us look? So I got with the other NCOIC and we decided next person late was going to get paperwork because they've had enough warnings. I think one week there was only one day everyone was on time. And again, there's only eight of us. So this poor kid, he shows up late. I was like, where is Airman so-and-so? Like, oh, I don't know. So they try and get a hold of him. And then he walks in like 10 minutes late with a box full of donuts. <laughs> I really want one of those donuts, but I have to be stern. Oh, no. Airman so-and-so, why are you late? Uh, I was getting donuts and the line was really long. So the line was long. Yeah. So if you weren't moving and you were just standing there, don't you think you could have called or texted? Yeah, I probably could have. Like, now I have to give you paperwork because you were late because you're trying to do a good deed. So it was one of those really, 
hard situations of those. Say, that'd be kind of like a not a gut wrenching, but like a heart wrenching. Like, oh, I wanna, I wanna be like a human and be super nice because that's that's such a nice deed that you're trying to do for us. But at the same time, you would have been late like, if you would have gotten those donuts. Or at least call somebody, like text somebody, like. And that's what I always try to tell my guys is, you know, with things is just give me a heads up. If you give me a heads up, we're good to go. Yep. Like as long as I know, you know, either where you're at or what's going on or if something's may potentially become a problem just let me know ahead of time yes all is good to go but if i gotta send out a search party for you and you know we're trying to figure out if you're alive in your dorm room then we've got a problem because now we're pulling resources away from the job to actually go and figure out what you're doing when nine times out of ten like everybody's just asleep yes and they just didn't hear their alarm yes so yeah calm out party but and to make matters worse uh, after I had my little lecture with him, he went to his backpack to get something out, and his lotion just exploded in his backpack. Oh, no. After he's already upset because I had to be the one to worst day ever for that airman. Yeah, he was not having a good one. And then I felt bad. I felt even worse. Like it's not my fault. His lotion exploded in his backpack. <laughs> but golly, and I really wanted a donut, so we made a deal. And he wasn't late again after that. But the deal was, you know what? You're just gonna hang out with me for. 20 30 minutes after work and no paperwork it's like okay yeah it's hard because how do we hold everyone accountable the same way what happens when you don't do so we- i um so one of my work centers the knowledge operations work center um was kind of going through some growing pains and i think you know they're starting to kind of come out of it they're starting to kind of come together as a team it was hard i didn't realize you know, I don't sit with them. You know, I have three work centers, so you know, I'm kind of co-located from yep. everybody, and so I don't have eyes on like I would have if I was still the NCOIC. Hard to know what's going on in a work center if your NCOs are not telling you. Yeah. And then so, you know, when the NCOs kind of you know get um, a little frustrated with things, then things build and build and build to the point where you have people that maybe don't even want to come to work anymore. They're kind of maybe even sinking into like some depression because they they don't see a way out of kind of the situation that they're in, but they also don't understand their power. And I don't want to say power as in like, I'm the staff sergeant, you got to listen to me, but, but still, but their position, you know, their positional power. And I have uh, two like brand new staff sergeants down there and they're doing an excellent job. And I have amazing airmen. But I think there was a lot of like misunderstandings that were happening within the work center and, you know, talking back about the, um, when you were talking about, you know, when you become, when you're an airman and become a staff sergeant and how, you know, hard of a transition that is. And you kind of have to leave some of your friends behind in a way, but having, you know, them understand that, you know, I'm not doing this because suddenly I think I'm better than you. I'm doing this because this is not my position and these are the things that I have been tasked and the expectations that have been placed on me and so you know um, hearing their frustrations and I'm like guys like why are we just not hearing about this and they're like well we didn't want to kind of burden you with these things and it's like that's not a burden that's what I get paid to do is to help you guys we worked out some things within um, the section but trying to to hold people accountable for little things yeah and you know them not understanding that you know you can talk all day but at the end of the day, you know, what's the accountability? And I, one of my staffs actually, it's funny because um, I don't remember what the airman did, but my chief were like, oh, that should be paperwork. 
And she's like, guys, I honestly think with this one, I'd like to go about it a different way. She was literally just going to to allow us to be like, no, it should be paperwork and just go with it until I pulled her in and I said, what are your thoughts and what are your apprehensions about this? And she said, I honestly don't think that paperwork's going to work because, you know, honestly, like paperwork doesn't work for everybody. Sure. It's, you know, supposed to be a rehabilitation tool, but it's not a rehabilitation tool for everybody. And so she explains to me what she wants to do. And I'm like, dude, that sounds awesome. You should have come to me and explained it. Like, this isn't a I'm in charge and what I say goes like this is a team, uh, even when it comes to like things like that. It's it's a team effort. And so just hearing like even young NCOs come up with different ways of understanding like the human factor, but still understanding that, okay, I do have to hold them accountable, even though it's not fun and it's not what I want to do today. But at the end of the day, like you've got to, that's what we get paid to do. So yeah, I don't envy shirts because I feel like they get a lot of those hard accountable accountability cases. Yeah. I, I get to hear some of their things they're going through sometimes. It's like, nope. Not the life I want. With me, the hardest thing I think is one, making sure F-Tackers show up to work on time or school on time. And then also the retraining aspect. Cause that blue side of me, true colors blue side of me, have a really hard time when they really want something, but they're not willing to put in the work. And Sergeant Fields and I were just at Whitworth the other day. And Mr. Tim, I can't remember his job exactly, but he oversees a lot of basically resident hall life stuff. He said, I can only meet you halfway. I can't do more than you're willing to do. And I think that's really hard too. And that's an accountability thing too, because the blue side of me wants to just help and do oh, yeah. when I'm talking or having a yeah. conversation with someone, I'm already trying to fix it in my head. Same. But I have to sometimes even ask, is this a venting session or is this you're asking for help? Because my brain is going to switch off differently yeah. if you want help. And I think that's also what makes accountability so hard sometimes. So True Colors, I am a blue, like, at heart. Like, I care about everybody probably way too much than I probably should. But that's just the way I am. And so sometimes that makes telling somebody, pulling somebody into a room and telling them how they need to be better and what they're, you know, failing at or not doing so well at, it makes it tough for me. But, like, I have to, you know, tell myself, nope, if I don't tell them, what's actually going on, what others are seeing, that I'm not doing them any favors. You know, I'm just allowing them to continue on this path. And maybe they don't see it. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they think they're doing well. Feedback is, is you know, just as important yeah. in terms of accountability. So, yeah. That's yeah, hard sometimes. Um, and peer-to-peer accountability, I think, is the hardest, especially as an NCO. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think NCO peer-to-peer is the absolute hardest. Especially I feel like, yeah, NCO, senior NCO, we're all just kind of like, okay, whatever. Um, you know, peer-to-peer. But I think, I do agree, like, especially, like, as staff sergeants, tech sergeants, you're kind of, you've been doing it a little while. I think it's easier for somebody else to come to you that's a peer to say that. But as a staff, when it's kind of like an ego blow sometimes, I yeah. think. And, you know, we all kind of need it. But, but sometimes, you know, as a staff sergeant, you're like, well, I'm an NCO now, so... You know, I should be able to know and do these things. And for somebody even up here to come and tell you what's what's what, it's kind of like, who are you? Who are you talking to? Like, have you seen what you're doing? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard. easy to get defensive and a maintenance. And I'm not saying it's not th- this way in other career fields too. We get those 
tech sergeants and staff sergeants that have been in a while. Yeah. And they they like it, but they don't like it there, and they're going to make sure everyone knows they're miserable. And how do you deal with that when they're around the brand new three speeds mm-hmm. and the people that are bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, still just got to the base, excited to be in the Air Force, and you've got the one they all looked up to that's super salty that's like, this place sucks. Mm-hmm. The apathy that Colonel Bentley and Chief Guzman talked about. Like, how do we... Like, do we let that happen? Because, I mean, they're a great worker. Or how do we reel them in? I know we have a couple at, at the AMXS. I think we have them everywhere. And it's not that... I think they do know what they're doing. But do we have people that are brave enough, that gut check? Hey, you can't... I, I tell them, at the very end of the day, at least not around the new guys. If you're going to talk to the staff sergeants and the tech sergeants who have been in a while, you're griping to each other. Yeah. But you shouldn't gripe down, you yeah. shouldn't gripe up, and I know sometimes I gripe down still yeah. uh, with people that I think can handle it, but I still have to be careful with that too, holding myself accountable. That's not their worry. It was funny. So when I was in Kuwait, like it just reminded me of a story. Um, I got out there, and it was me and one other airman at the start of it. Stellar airman, honestly. Like definitely to this day, like uh, one of the best airmen like I've probably been around. Super smart kid, all of that. But I get out there. We start working together, and every single day, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I want to go home. I don't want to be in the Air Force. I want to get out every day, multiple times a day. Huh. And it's like, even if you're having a great day, it's like, oh, my gosh, dude, like, I get it. Nobody wants to be here, like, you know. And it was his first deployment, and in my head, like, having had other deployments that were a lot suckier than that one, that one was, like, vacation. In my head, I'm like, dude, this is cake. This is great. There's yeah. a lot worse places you can be, dude. So, like, I don't understand, you know, why are you complaining so much? But getting to know, sometimes, like, getting to know those people, sure. that they're salty, understanding what their story is, because there's probably a reason that they feel that way. Um, with him, he was going through a lot of things back at home station mm-hmm. that I became privy to because they ended up bleeding into um like our deployed life and it was unfair to him because there was a lot of things that you know were being uh, said and done to him that were actually unjust and um, just trying to stand up for him and showing him they're different because he was on his first assignment and so in his head he's like well this is what the air force is Mm. and it's like ah you may have just gotten in with some you know some wrong like ncos or senior ncos uh, maybe a toxic leadership situation for you. You know, there's other places out there like PCS, please get out of there. Right. So I was super excited to have him on deployment. The more like I got in with him and the more I got to know him and know his work ethic and stuff. And poor kid, even to this day, he's he's going to get out, which sucks. But at least like I was able to show him a different side. And I, I think he's less salty now. And I'm not trying to be like, yeah, I did that. But, like, you know, it's always nice, like, for people like that to, to kind of listen to them and understand why they feel the way that they feel. Sure. If they're open enough to, to actually open up to you. Yeah. And I think you just have to work at it. And that's, like, if you read my five, they all kind of tie into each other. And you notice I don't have some keywords that we usually hear. And it's not that I don't think they're important, but I think you can mix them in with that. With if you're... If your accountability is on point, for lack of better words, the trust is already there from your peers. Absolutely. Up and down. Absolutely. And communication, I think, also falls in with accountability. Like, when you know you you didn't get the message out like you were supposed to, yeah. 
that's on me. I need to do better. A little bit of humility. Well, that goes into, like, transparency as well. Yeah. Like, being a transparent leader, like, sorry, guys, I jacked that one up. Yep. Like, even, you know, as a master sergeant, like, I still mess things up. But, like, how transparent am I willing to be? Like, with my guys, I'm super honest. I messed that up. I'm sorry. That's my fault. I'll take the heat on that. But we all know for next time. Sure. Like, owning up to your mistakes, and that's hard as well. So... So, yeah, you've shared a couple of really good stories. Is there anything that really sticks out to you now that you've had time to think about? Maybe a time you were put on the spot where your accountability was, or not accountability, yeah, accountability was. So, the only thing I can really think of is, so, you you shared that you have only been late, like, a handful of times. I have struggled (laughs) with lateness my entire career. That is just who I am. I am a hot mess. But I remember first day at ALS. Okay. And uh, at White Men Air Force Base, I had told myself, you know, I'm going to get up and get it ready. I'm going to be early, whatever. And I don't know if I was just, you know, messing around trying to get ready. I just was taking my sweet time, all of that. But I was literally like the last person to walk in <laughs> and they had already started talking. Oh, no. Day one, ALS. And I'm over here like, hi, guys, I'm here. I was like, crap, that sucks. But Basically, you know, that was kind of like a realization that, hey, uh, you got to figure your life out, man. Like, the stuff you're doing is, you know, whatever. But, I mean, that's just one of my, like, silly stories is, you know, my lateness, like, sure. my tardiness. But holding myself accountable for that. Yep, I was late. Like, trying not to come up with excuses as to why I was late. Just late. But I'm sure that that hindered my first impression sure. um, during ALS. And, uh, yeah. You can always build back. And I think... As long as you have those standards and you know when you dip and you're accountable and you admit when you you make a mistake or you're not keeping up with your standards, that's the biggest thing. I have this thing written down. It says the DSV unsafe aircraft story, and I think this was the best place to kind of share it. So back when I was a young staff sergeant, I think in 2012, so I had had the stripe on for just over two years. We had this really bad day on the flight line. There's no other way to put it. If you've ever been to Mildenhall, it's really, really strategically laid out back when it used to be a bomber base. So that way, if someone were trying to attack the base, they would only maybe get a handful of aircraft with each strike. But in today's Air Force, with the flight line just kind of expanding in one long line of wiggle, I guess, yeah, because the line has to be straight. So saying a straight line is redundant. But in this long wiggle, the, there was a plane taxiing, so the expediter that had the crew chief was stuck on one side of the flight line and couldn't get to where the next tax or the next launch was going to take off. And the crew showed up on time. We were late. Long story short, we were running around trying to get the aircraft prepped, and we had just been briefed. You can't toss things out of the cargo door. Okay, well we're going to toss things in. Because it doesn't say we can't, and we're crunched for time, and we're being as safe as possible. I'm on one side of the cargo door. The cargo door is, what, like 15 feet long? So I'm on one side as far as I can. They're handing me up what I can reach without falling out of the aircraft. And then they're tossing things up as gently as possible on the other side of the aircraft. Because by the book, it's okay. And we're running late. We're not trying to cut corners. We're just trying to get things done. And that was this huge gray area. Well, our Deputy group commander comes out. Oh, yeah, guys, thanks for helping out. Thanks for helping out the crew chiefs. One team, one fight. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out of our way. We're trying to finish. And then he comes back with one of our quality assurance inspectors. And he's like, 
But by the way, you're not allowed to do this. The only way to bring things in or out of the aircraft is through the crew entry chute. Not true. But long story short, I'm looking around like this is he's gonna call this a DSV. That sucks. Look to my left, look to my right, look down. I'm the ranking individual. That's gonna fall on me. Ugh. This was my idea too, because we had to hurry. We thought it would be okay. I'm gonna take that. Later on, this aircraft just has a write-up. They said we let the plane fly in an unsafe condition. We were bullied very, very hardly harsh that day, and I learned the difference between what the pilots say is flyable and what maintenance says is flyable. And at the end of the day, until we completely give the aircraft to to ops, it's still our plane. So by our laws, the plane was in an unsafe condition. Was it really? No. We were going to be able to prove it 15 different ways if they just would have let us. <sighs> that, that was a horrible day. They started up engines on us when they weren't supposed to. They were basically going to run us over. We were in one of those teeny tiny like 1990s little Ford Rangers two-door. Like, we're not stopping this aircraft. KC-135 is not massive, but we're not stopping this aircraft. If they want to go, they're going to run us over. So me and the most, the, for that job, the worst pro super we could have had out there, just the one that is very not sure of themselves at times, was out there with us. We don't know what to do. The plane, it's, it's good to go. The system that's failing, because both sides are failing, we know it's good to go. Stop the aircraft. How? They're not stopping. They started up the engines when they weren't supposed to. What makes you think that they're going to stop and not taxi when they're not supposed to? So we just kept going, and then we didn't know how to follow around. They're like, yeah, they're going to get to the hammerhead, and when they get to the hammerhead, they can just go ahead, and you run upstairs real quick, and we'll take care of it. We'll, we'll verify that it's good. They get to the hammerhead, and they just go. They just go down the taxi or the runway. Huh, that wasn't supposed to happen like that. What, what does that mean? And then you hear on the radio, everything's been handled. Ugh. What does everything's been handled been mean? And by the time I got back to the building, I'm being pulled into the offices for questioning. They thought it was for the DSV. Long story short, that gets almost into the more humorous sides on how that part went down. But the big thing is I had an airman out there with me, and I wanted to make sure that at the end of the day, he's a solid five level, but he's not the ranking individual out there. If it has to come down on someone, it has to be me. Do I think we did anything wrong in that situation? Sure. I think we could have done things a little bit better. It was a huge learning point for me at that point. Because I'd never really been in a lot of trouble. I'd never been questioned. My, my actions had never been questioned. So I had to stick firm to what I believed. And the biggest thing was, I don't know why the air crew acted the way they did that day. But they put us in a real uncomfortable spot and one that we weren't ready to handle. We didn't have the right tools. We didn't have the right people there supporting us. And I learned very hard that this can happen. And yeah, that's, that's at the end of the day, it's on me and it's on the other staff sergeant and the pro super. But it's not on my airmen. It's not on the other young staff sergeants that had less time in than me that just wanted to learn and help. Because they wanted to question everybody. Which I get. Like, if, But if there's going to be paperwork, it has to come to me. And I didn't want it. Because I've never been in trouble. Yeah. I, I've never had an Article 15. Yeah. I don't know if you were there for that talk that we yeah. had. Like, all the cool kids have Article 15. Yeah, Sergeant Northam <laughs> yeah, North doesn't have, have uh, Article 15, but yeah. she's got street cred because she's had a rights read to her. As yeah. far as maintainers go, they joke. That's how you know you're a real maintainer. <laughs> but that was the hardest thing I had to learn yeah. that day was holding myself accountable that way. But I want to thank you for sharing some of your yeah. stories with us. Absolutely. And before we wrap this up, I also wanted to give you a chance to kind of share if you had any leadership philosophies or traits that you super admire. Um, so for me, it's more um, 
I admire, you know, courage and not necessarily let me throw myself in front of a bullet type of courage. Yeah, that's admirable, obviously, but just courage even in the small things, because I know how hard it can be sometimes like to speak up. And, you know, so I I admire courage. Um, Transparency is another important, um, you know, thing for me is being how, you know, open and honest are you willing to be uh, for those around you, under you, above you, all of that which has taken me a very long time um, to come to a point where I'm okay with being transparent and honesty as well. And I feel like transparency and honesty kind of tie in together, but just be honest. If, if you mess up, that's okay. Own up to it. If it wasn't a hundred percent your fault, it will be seen. And, And that's also been something that's hard for me to kind of get to a point where, you know, I understand like the power of honesty and speaking up when it's unpopular and things like that. Obviously, uh, I value humor. Sure. Um, I I know you and I live (laughs) off of sarcasm, basically feel bad for some of my airmen because they may not know like me necessarily, like I'm just playing around, but you know, because I tend to be kind of sarcastic a lot of times. Uh, But yeah, so for me, it's mostly courage, uh, transparency, honesty, and then the human factor, like for me, uh, when I make any kind of decision, uh, it's what is the human factor? You know, what is this going to affect? There, there's not a one size fits all anything for anyone. And so, you know, trying to understand uh, what works best for who, why, all of that, and understanding that at the end of the day, everybody's a person. Sure. And so, yeah, I understand that there are regulations and things that we have to follow. But in between those, like, what can we do to make the time for everybody better? And so those are kind of my leadership philosophies. Awesome. So you got a, a H, another H, a T, and an S? No, not an S. Let's see. <laughs> Courage. Courage. Honesty, transparency. And the human factor. Human. Lots of H's. Yeah. 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 Cut. Was there a T? Transparency. Yeah, it could be like thick. T T H H C. Yeah. T H C. Yeah, we gotta be careful. <laughs> Maybe we'll work on that. But no, I think it's fun and I, I shared it with the first the first podcast, the first episode. But Chief Dietrich mentioned how you don't have to have something clever. Obviously the wing is AMC, right? Yeah. Airman mission culture. Culture. AMXS, I don't know if Major Ray is changing it, but was FMC, Family Mission. Oh, I've been out of a- AMXS for a while. I forget what this, the C stands for because it was not culture. It was something different. But that's what Colonel Howlett had for when he was in charge. So sometimes it's nice to have. I think that's what Chief Dietrich's is too. And I'm not even sure if it's the same, the same words that he chose to kind of highlight. But it's kind of nice when you do have something easy for people to remember. Absolutely. I joke around, and I joked around with Senior that mine's hacks, and I told him, and now you guys are going to hear it during every podcast probably, that do you know the plural version of cul-de-sac? Mm-mm. You ever watch Gilmore Girls? Mm-mm. Oh, man, you're missing out. Now you can probably see where some of if you did, you could see where some <laughs> of my fast talking comes from. But the plural to cul-de-sac is coles de sac which is really, really stupid, but sometimes the English language is weird. And so I have two H's, an A, a C, and a K. So in my mind, if we can have Coles de Sac, meaning plural, double H's could be hacks. So I got North America's hacks. 
<laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much what I wanted to talk to you about today. I awesome. really appreciate you coming yeah. out and spending some time with us and sharing Absolutely. your philosophies yeah. and also just um, uh, helping me explain why I think accountability is so important. Absolutely. I picked you for this one for many different reasons. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for hanging out with us for a bit. Yeah. And for those of you listening, thank you again and have a spectacular day. Up another episode. If you guys want to be on the podcast or know someone who might want to, or possibly have an idea for a podcast, please have them reach out. They can hit me up at 92foxtrotsierrasierra.foxtrotsierradeltapapa.fairchildcharliealphaalpha.us.af.mil. And until next time, you guys have a spectacular day.